Well, when we graduated from Houghton a few years ago, we never would have dreamed that someday God would let us come back to this amazing community to spend a few years. And we've been back in Houghton now, it'll be nine years in September, longer than we've ever lived anywhere. And uh, it has been such a blessing. And sitting here this morning and hearing the hymns and the voices of all of you, we know that this is a treasure that most people in the world have never experienced. And we've had it every Sunday for years now. But we are just so thankful for this opportunity this morning to share with you a little bit about the journey that we've been on and the journey that's ahead. Our, our journey into missions, global missions, started a long time ago. Um, I won't say how long ago in Cindy's case, although she was around nine years old. When God started to open her heart up, what, about 10 years ago, 15 years, something like that. And um, in me, I was a little slower in the process. Um, I, wasn't, I was 19 when I really made a decision to give my life to God and, and to seek and follow him. And then even after that, I was a little bit stubborn until around 19, I guess it would have been 1990, is when God called us corporately into uh, global mission and, and ministry overseas. One of the things that we experienced as we made that commitment in 1990 uh, was the death of our third child, our youngest at the time, a seven-month-old, Craig. Died suddenly um, on November uh, 17th, 1990, just a little bit before Thanksgiving. And he was buried in Long Lake the day before Thanksgiving. And on Thanksgiving morning, I remember vividly sitting at the Adirondack table. That's the table up in Mom and Dad's house. Uh, that we all sat around for our meals, and we called it the Adirondack Table. And I was sitting there in the early morning light uh, by the picture windows, wrestling still with the reality of what had just taken place. We were planning to move overseas and questions whether we should continue to do that uh, after recently you know, going through the grief process and what light ahead was a grief, and we didn't know what that would look like. Uh, Global Partners obviously was concerned and, and wanted to look into this and, and, and uh, walk with us in this path uh, that God had laid out before us. But one of the other things that was even more on our hearts was, did God really know our pain? Uh, we just lost this child, and um, it, was, it wasn't that uh, he just got ill on a Thursday night and was gone Saturday morning. And as we wrestled through that process, I had just kind of grabbed a hold of what everybody thinks of as the traditional answer, I suppose. And that is, well, certainly God knows our pain because Christ died. And with Christ's death, God went through that process of seeing him murdered on a cross and beaten and, and mocked and all these scorned and all these things. And so as I was trying to be helpful to my wife as she was holding Craig after he had died in the hospital room, um, I, I kind of said to her, and, and to myself, well, God knows our pain. And I kind of made those comments. And she looked at me with really empty eyes that morning. Uh, it was a Saturday morning. And she said, you know, God and Jesus were together again in a few days. And it was a plan. The plan of salvation wasn't a surprise to God. This is a surprise. And when are we going to see Craig again? And she kind of popped my bubble. <laughs> you know, I thought, well, there goes my comfort. Thanks, son. And so we were wrestling. And we were praying earnestly that God would, would help us understand how he knew. We knew he knew, but we were just human, and we wanted to know that comfort. And so that morning, November 21st or thereabouts, uh, sitting at the table, God spoke to me. And he said, Kevin, uh, you're wrestling with Craig and the loss of Craig, and how can I comfort you and know your pain? 
and your family's pain. And, and he said, you love Craig and you love Kyle and Kale, but they were the older two boys, four and, and two-year-old. And your wife, Cindy, and your family. And uh, you do well to, to love, Kevin, but you love is, is limited. You're human. And um, I love perfectly, by the way. Ah, uh, yeah. And I love not only those who love me, Kevin, but I love those who don't love me. I love every person in the town of Long Lake, New York. And that, that kind of came as a shock for me because I struggled loving some of those people in Long Lake, New York. Uh, pastored there for three years, and, and I thought, wow, God loves these people. And then God continued to broaden the scope here a little bit. And he said, I love everybody in New York State. I love everybody in the United States. I love everybody created. I love all mankind. And Kevin, my love is perfect and pure. And every day, thousands of people reject me and die and are sent to spend eternity in hell, separated from that perfect love. And in those moments, I was just overwhelmed with the depth of God's understanding that I couldn't comprehend. But all of a sudden, I knew God knew more than I could ever know how to deal with a loss. But not only did that happen and and confirm uh, that God knew, but he did something else for us in those moments. He confirmed and reassured our commitment to mission, to go to a lost and hurting world and to take that good news beyond Long Lake and New York. And, and he opened the doors and, and off we went to Europe, knowing that that's where we belonged uh, in that term of service in those days. We've been back in the States now about 13 years. And about five years ago, we started sensing that God was calling us back into overseas service for him. And we had loved all the things we'd been involved with here, but we just had this, this urging from him. We talked with Global Partners, which is the Wesleyan Church's mission, and asking again about you know, maybe going back to Europe or to Germany or to Czech Republic. We'd worked really hard to learn those languages to the level that we did, and it just made sense to us. But there wasn't an opportunity to go there. And so they asked us to consider going to Mongolia or China or Nepal. And as we looked at those, we were kind of you know, like, this could be a cool thing. It's big, a big stretch, but we were pursuing that. And then in June 2011, our son Caleb was killed in a car accident. And this church was such a help to us through that. And for anybody who has grieved, you know that, okay, it's five years, it's done. No, it's not done. Um, You continue to go with us. My Sunday school class in particular, but so many of you in the church have walked this really tough road with us. I tabled that call back to overseas ministry for a little while, and then we started kind of rekindling it, and about then Kevin's mom passed away. That tabled it again, and then Kevin got kidney stones and a severe infection. It was in the hospital for several days, and then a few months after that, one of my cousins was killed. A grandnephew died very suddenly. It was a rough few years, and again, this church walked through that with us. But about a year ago, Kevin was on his way home. Dad had had open-heart surgery, was doing well, but it was still a pretty rough spot in the journey. I hope never to experience that. And on the way home in the car, as Kevin was, you know, kind of thinking about family and how very much we love being near to our family, he felt God saying, no, let's, let's get on with this. Let's see if now is the time. And so he came home. He said, no, we're going to finish the application. Shouldn't take that long. You know, we'll just do paperwork, reference or two. Here we go. Um, it's actually a very long process. 
And uh, <laughs> they vetted us very thoroughly, we think. And uh, <laughs> we are very glad that um, the doors to Czech Republic have opened back up for us. And so that's where we're headed back, Lord willing, in January to Podrobradi, a small city in the Czech Republic. There are 7 billion people in the world today, roughly. And of those 7 billion, 5 billion really don't know Jesus Christ and who he is. They don't know God and that relationship of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. 2 billion will say they're Christian, but of that 2 billion, really about half a billion know Jesus Christ as personal Savior, know that he is the Son of God, and that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And so, and they, and, and they trust the Bible being the inherent, inherent word of God. And so, really, as you look at the, the world's population, there are just billions and billions of people that are in a very difficult situation. And we have chosen, again, to reunite with Global Partners because we have seen their work over the years. As a matter of fact, they started back in 1889. That's long before most of us were born, right? And... Um, they sent missionaries to Sierra Leone. They felt God compelling them to go to West Africa. And these missionaries and their families got onto a ship and spent several weeks crossing the Atlantic Ocean. And they came up on that shore in Sierra Leone and they began the process of trying to find a way to live and to learn the culture and the language. And during those first years in their work, several of them died and are buried there now. And one could look back and think, was it really worth it all? Was all, you know, all that sacrifice, the heartache and the pain? Because a lot of them died before anything really started to evolve. Today, the Western Church has 1,200 churches in Africa and over 12 countries of Africa. Matter of fact, I'm holding here a picture. You can't see it, but trust me. It's President Obama standing with the president of Sierra Leone, who was earnest by Coroma. And he's a Wesleyan, and he found Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior through the ministry of the Wesleyan Church in Sierra Leone. And that all came over the, the process that started way back in 1889. And so it has been worth it. Today, Global Partners in the Wesleyan Church is in over 50 countries of the world scattered about. And Europe is really considered to be one of those dark continents where many, many, like you, anywhere from half a percent to two percent are Christian, evangelical Christian. The world has changed drastically over the years in how people can come and go to the mission field. But the mission has not. And God has called Cindy and I, uh, we believe wholeheartedly, to join again with global partners and go back into specifically the Czech Republic. Why the Czech Republic? We're not fluent in the language, that's for sure. We can speak it. But as we looked and evaluated and thought about our history and the knowledge of what we are aware of in the Czech Republic, I'm reminded that back in 1987, God allowed me a specific, unique ministry opportunity. And the Czech Republic, the Czech Republic was called Czechoslovakia. It was still under communist regime. And God allowed myself with a soccer club. I met them. I flew from New York, and we met over in Europe. And we played a couple key matches in the, the cities of Prague and Pilsen, um, high-level matches, to try just to, to bring the love of Christ in as sports ministry through those days. And God gave me a really unique privilege in those moments, that week that we spent in Czechoslovakia. 
um, the worker, the missionary that was there, selected me out of the team. And he said, Kevin, I'd like you to go with me to a small group meeting. And I want you to just experience something that's really unique. So I went. And it was just a cool idea. This would be great. I was all excited about it. And uh, we were in a little car. We drove over to a parking area near an apartment complex in Prague, downtown Prague. We wandered a few blocks. I thought certainly we could have parked a little closer, but we didn't. And we ring, he rung a doorbell. The buzzer rang. We pushed the door open. We went up three or four flights of stairs, got up to the top. And we, he had me take a seat on the edge of the room. And inside the room were six, seven, maybe eight Czech people, um, Czechoslovakian people. Um, and a TV was blaring, just obnoxiously loud. And for about 45 minutes, they talked... I think maybe they prayed. They might have talked about the Bible. I don't know. I couldn't hear over the TV, and it didn't matter anyway because they were speaking another language. But during that 45 minutes, every now and then, one or two would get up and go. One or two other people would just wander into this room coming through the door. And it just kind of thought to me it was really a disruptive, chaotic scene, in my opinion. And then we left at a designated point in time, went down and left the building. And we went back a different route to the car. I thought, he's lost. Where are we? I know where the car is. And when we got to the car, he said, okay, Kevin, what would you observe? I said, well, first of all, why was the TV so loud? I couldn't understand, not that it mattered, but he said, well, that's in case rooms bugged or in case there are people listening in through the walls, that it will prevent them, their voices to be heard, and that's a purpose. And as soon as he said that, then the light clicked. Aha, okay, communist country. And then I said, and the people were leaving and coming and going all the while, there was no one big group and leaving as a group, and that's probably just to keep it discreet. Absolutely. And then I said, and we went a different route back to the car because you weren't lost, but rather you're just trying to prevent people from following, so to speak. And he said, right. And it was just an amazing experience for me to be a part of, to see what these people were doing or having to do just so they could seek God and grow in their faith in God. That was 1987. Jump forward 10 years, 1997. Cindy and I and our family had just moved from Germany to the Czech Republic, and we're in our first ministry event. It was a summer camp, English camp, and a team had come over from Michigan, and they ran the whole camp. They were teaching English using the Bible and stories and games, and it was a blast. And there were 75 or 80 young people between 16 and 25-ish, and they were having a blast. And they were curious and asking gazillion questions all day long and all the events and yet not one of them knew Jesus Christ as personal Savior. It was a fascinating thing for me when I think just 10 years ago, it was a whole different dynamic. The country was no longer Czechoslovakia, it was the Czech Republic. And now they could freely seek God. And so it was just a fascinating experience. So Sydney and I thought, we better take advantage of this. We live here. This team from Michigan is going to be gone. So we got up and made an announcement and said, if anybody's interested in talking a little bit more about God, the Bible, Jesus Christ, come on over to our house Wednesday after the camp is over, and we'll, we'll just sit around informally and visit and talk. And that first Wednesday evening, there were three Czech people that showed up, and fortunately, one of them spoke enough English, and we just visited, and it was fun. And then the next Wednesday, there were six or seven, I can't remember exactly, and the third week, there was about 11, then it went to 16, into the 20s. It was just every week, there was more and more people, to the point that by December, six months after that camp, we had five small groups meeting with 10 or more Czech people in them, and none of them knowing who Jesus Christ was as personal Savior yet, but certainly hungering and thirsting and trying to sort this whole thing out. And it was just a fascinating experience. That was back in 1997 into early 1998. Today, 
2016, Josiah and I just had the privilege of going over for a winter retreat. Uh, a similar concept, except it was in snow. And we went over there and watched English being used, again, as a, a tool to challenge these young people. There were, again, 16 to 25-year-olds. But this time, 11 or 12 of them were devout, born-again Christians, hungering and thirsting for God. And they were sharing their faith with their peers. And Josiah and I just got to sit there and just watch what an amazing transformation has been going on in this culture, in this country. At the same time, one of the most fascinating things in this process was in this city of Pojabrati, where God is bringing us back, the church is made of these young people. There are no married couples. There are no children running around the church. There are nobody our age. Won't get into that. And there are no, just, it's just these young, it's like a youth group, if you will. And so God is asking us, and we're saying yes, to go back into the Czech Republic um, and reach and, and minister and disciple those young people to whatever degree we can. But even, maybe more importantly, helping this church to begin to expand and see the need with the older people in the community as well as the children and, and see the church begin to grow and spread out beyond being just a, a youth group um, that is uh, having great success. And so we look forward to what uh, God is going to be doing through us, in us, uh, during those days. And, and we, we are thankful for the privilege of being able to go back to minister there. In the Romans passage that was read this morning, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is in serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to give encouragement, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. It's amazing the ways that, you know, the different gifts that we do have and the ways that we have the privilege of using them at various stages in our lives. As Kevin mentioned, this church is all young people. They're on fire for Jesus, but they don't have the depth that comes from the years of knowing Christ. And when we think back to the Czech camps that we were part of, they loved, the Czech young people loved having the young people from America come over, and they'd get to practice their American English instead of just their British English. And they'd ask questions about TV shows and music, not always the best things that America exports, but the things that really had caught their attention. But we noticed that when they had a question about life issues, um, if they were going through you know, their parents' divorce or a death in their family, or they just wanted to know, is there really a God? Do you really believe there's a God and you make your life decisions based on that? For those kinds of questions, they weren't necessarily going to a 17 or 18-year-old. They were seeking out the people with gray hair and asking them, hey, does this work? Do you really think God is there? He's blonde. I'm gray. <laughs> But we found that whether it was Larry and Vesta Mullen or an older couple from um, Michigan, the young people really gravitated towards them and would sit down and ask them. They have a respect for age there that we will really appreciate. <laughs> but it was very apparent that there's that need in the church for there to be some older people that have lived a while and have seen that, yes, even when it's tough, God is very faithful. And so we have the privilege of being part of working with those that are Christians and helping them to reach out to their own parents. Many of them have a hard time kind of figuring out even how to talk to their parents about something like this because the parents grew up in complete atheism and where their parents could be turned in by aunts and uncles for even mentioning the name of Jesus to their kids. 
And so it's, it's not a quick flip for their parents like it is for some of the kids. And it's also a chance for us to work with the Czech pastor. He and his wife are vibrant for Jesus. And it's going to be exciting to work up to work with them if we can keep up with them. But we also just want to kind of provide that. If you look around this particular Wesleyan church and most Wesleyan churches, there's a wealth of older saints in the church. That means we have until January to reach sainthood <laughs> and to finish the hair. The hair maybe, the sainthood no. <laughs> One of uh, the beautiful things that we had privilege of experiencing with our ministry previously in the Czech Republic, 1998, um, it was a cool spring day, and our ministry in Brno was just beginning to take root, as, as I shared earlier, but we still didn't have any believers in our church, but we had a load of people curious about God, for sure, and I got a call and from... Uh, Global Partners, and they had a basketball team, a women's basketball team, and I had been in sports ministry all over the world, and uh, mostly with soccer, and they just wondered if I could figure out a way to make use of this team. There was a team, but the country where they were supposed to go, it all fell apart, and the team and money, but nowhere to go, and I said, we'll figure something out, send them our way, and so that's when Houghton College's women's basketball team came in the spring of 1998, 1998. Uh, Skip Lord and I met, and uh, we did some emailing and back and forth, and they showed up. And because Brno, where we were living and doing ministry, we had no active church. We just had these small groups trying to figure out who God is. So God had opened a door up in a neighboring community about two hours away in a village of Olomots, or a small city, Olomots. And they had a thriving church over there, and they were thrilled with the idea of, if I was willing to organize sports ministry, go for it. Bring them over. So that's what we did. We took the women's basketball team to a neighboring city, Olomots. And we did all kinds of clinics and games, and it was a blast. To get back to Brno, as they came, as they were wrapping up their tour in the Czech Republic, we had to get them from train from Olomouc to Brno. So um, we put them on the train, but we had to get all the gear. And it just seemed logical that it would be easier to put all the gear in a van. And we couldn't put everybody in the gear. So we, Skip and Kevin, piled in the van, loaded all the gear in it, and put the ladies, the 13 of them, on a, a train in Olomouc and basically gave instructions on how to get to Brno. Good luck, God bless. And we drove and wondered if we'd see them again. And it was really a fun moment. Really, it was. They, they were anxious and nervous about this. None of them obviously spoke the language, and I was butchering it. And uh, so we left, and we got into Brno ahead of them, of course, and we drove in, and we got to the platform, and we anxiously awaited. Well, are we going to see these girls? Are they going to speak to us if we do see them? And in pulls the train, and all 13 of these ladies get off that train, and they were laughing. They were having fun. And they had had a blast. You could just tell they were, it was just really an amazing, you could just know something was going on. And in the middle of them was this big mountain of a guy, about 6'3", 250 pounds. Huge. I never knew, never seen him before. So Skip and I walk up and say, so hey, you guys look like you had a good time. What's up? Hey, you got to meet this guy. His name is Milan, Milan Remish. He speaks English. And it turns out Milan's on the train with them. He could hear the anxiety in their voices as they were trying to figure out how to get off this train to switch to that train. He goes, hey, ladies, I can help you. I'm going to Brno. What are you guys doing here? Thirteen girls? What, what is this all about? And they shared what, who they were and what they were doing. And he goes, wow, Christianity, that's interesting. My grandma told me a little bit about it. And he had questions. And in the course of that two-hour trip, God and Milan met. And by the time he got off that train, 
He had given his life to Jesus Christ, and he was a born-again Christian. And I was just mesmerized. I was just standing, how does this happen, you know? God was doing a miracle, had done a miracle right in the life of that young man. And Milan didn't stop there. We got the privilege of mentoring him and walking with Milan over the next few years. And he wanted to preach and teach. And the Wesleyan Church had nothing yet organized, so he jumped into the Czech Brethren Church. And he's a pastor today, married a little girl, uh, pastoring in the Czech Brethren Church up near Prague, continues to translate with, for us, as uh, Global Partners and Missions goes on in Brno and now in Podjabradi as well. And so the privilege of watching and and the understanding of the need to mentor these young people and now us being able to go back into speaking to the lives of these young people in Pojabrati, we just look forward to that privilege as well. Obviously, we're going to work with the team over there, but we're also building our team to go. And um, for anyone who has served in missions, especially raising kids, you know how nice it is to have the picture of your family on somebody's refrigerator to know that there's somebody praying you through those years. And um, just as kind of a a return on investment of prayer, in April 1990, we were in Germany. Our little daughter, Brianna, was born. Um, We had no idea ahead of time that there was going to be anything wrong, and so we were at a women's hospital, and um, it was all this nice, happy birth. And then suddenly the room filled with medical people, They wouldn't let Kevin see her. He was trying to keep me calm laying there. And um, they whisked her away to a children's hospital. And as Kevin said, we had lost our son, Craig, just a couple years before that. So it was very hard for us to believe that she could possibly survive whatever was wrong. And we didn't really know how much of it was internal. She had lots of different problems that they were um, going to be investigating. So we did the only thing we knew to do. We clung to each other, and we cried and prayed. And didn't have Facebook then, so we made phone calls back to the states to our families and home churches and said, please pray. We don't even know what to ask for. Please pray that she lives. And um, those people called people who called people who called people, and they prayed. And so many people prayed for our little girl. Um, I know there were groups here in Houghton praying for a little girl. And at the time, it really was, God, if you would just do a miracle and you would heal her, wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be great? All these doctors that have seen what she's doing, and she was a very special case, so we had been seen by several specialists. We thought it would just impress their socks off if God would just heal her on the spot. He did not choose to do that. And we never did stop asking for that. But um, we saw God answer prayer in so many ways. The top plastic surgeon in Europe, actually, is the one who chose to be her doctor. With the medical care there, you kind of get what you get when you show up at the hospital. But he happened to be there that day, and he saw her. And he said, I'll take her. She'll be my private patient. And Dr. Gonsalv took her. He did 18 of her 19 surgeries. He... um, took stitches out of her baby doll to get her ready for when he had to take stitches out of her. He was a gift from God. Um, We told him often he was prayed for, and he did not seem impressed by that. (laughs) He said, well, whatever you need to do, keep doing it. But God answered prayer in so many ways um, through all of that, the number of times that the right person would show up exactly when we needed it, the care package to give the encouragement exactly when we thought we couldn't keep going. Um, 
God provided in ways of connecting with people in the hospital that we um, got to know, other parents going through rough times with their kids. People were still in contact with all these years later even. As I said, we prayed that Brianna would survive. And the really cool thing is that two weeks ago, she graduated from Indiana Wesleyan Nursing School. And I love her also nurse. She's followed in the footsteps of some people who gave her great care over the years. I did not get emotional in the first service, by the way. (laughs) Most of those people weren't alive to pray for her when she was a little girl, (laughs) like you guys are. Um, But she worked last summer in Zambia as a nurse and really is waiting to see kind of how God is going to use that passion that she has. But she was able last summer to deliver 28 babies and assist in surgery and do all kinds of things. This coming week when all the missionaries are here, she's going to be able to host the doctors that she worked with over there. And as we see how God answered all those prayers from so many years ago, we don't know why he didn't heal her on the spot, but we sure know that he answered prayer. And we are so thankful that as we go back again, we know that we have a team of people who will pray. And so we want to just kind of shift gears a little bit and, and wrap this up. Um, you notice in the, in the bulletin, it talks about pray, give, and go. And um, as Cindy has just laid the foundation of what it really, the foundation of anything we are as Christians, as a local church, whether we're here doing ministry or missions, uh, you're reaching and it's sending out somewhere else in the world doing mission, involved in mission through missionaries. Prayer is the foundation of what is needed in this process. Um, Something new that we're trying to incorporate and be faithful to, and it'll be, it'll be hard, but we're going to work at it, and that is we want you, if you join our prayer team, we want you to send us prayer requests that you have. And that Cindy's already started a little catalog of cards, and each evening as we head to bed, we, Josiah, Cindy, and I will go through, and, and we pray through these, and we try to get new ones, and it's going to grow. Lord willing, we'll have several hundred in there eventually, and uh, we're going to pray for you and some of the needs that you may have. We're going to pray for this church. If the church serves a mission or ministry needs and things that are going on here. But we want to be praying for you as you pray for us. We'll also be sending prayer letters, and that's something that um, we're really glad to do. And we'll have a Facebook page that is kind of a... uh, private group where we'll share pictures and names of Czech people that we feel that God is maybe tugging on their hearts or to pray for their parents by name. And so we would love to invite you to be part of praying with us on that. But we're also all called to go. And going doesn't necessarily mean getting on an airplane. It means going to the people that God puts in your path. Maybe it's going to a baseball game this summer and just being friendly with somebody who's sitting there next to you. Or maybe it's building a wheelchair ramp, as some community members are doing right now. Maybe it's going to Buffalo to work with Jericho Road or Love Buffalo. But it's taking that good news that we know about Jesus and sharing it with people who don't. In our case, going is a little further away, but it's no more greater uh, than what you do here. God has called us to go and hop on a plane and fly across to the, the ocean and and set up shop over in the Czech Republic. God is allowing us to be your hands and your feet over there. And so Houghton Wesleyan Church is not only with Kevin and Cindy, but they're, they're with uh, the Karengals and, and with the Thedes and um, the Georges and Rodrigo, um, the Seldens. On this faith ministry team that in the bulletin you've seen, uh, the, the dream team, if you will, uh, God has called us to a different ministry. No better, 
just a different place to be. As you looked at, and we read the scripture, Romans 12, uh, 4 through 18. In there, there's that little nugget that talked about we all just have different gifts. And God has gifted us to go. And so we're, we're fortunate to have that privilege. And in the process of going, obviously, there's going to be a lot of giving needed. And uh, we, we are aware of a budget and a faith promise budget. And just as uh, the church and single will just make a quick challenge about that piece, but in the faith promise budget, the concepts there and the beauty of that, Pastor West will share in a moment about that. But Cindy's going to just talk about the concept of giving as it relates to us as a church here. A lot of people that aren't as closely tied to the church have no idea how much this church does for the community. And a real blessing of being married to a guy on staff is hearing some of the stories that aren't necessarily shared of people that have no connection to the church. Maybe they get um, a basket from the food pantry now and then, or maybe not even that, but where people in the church have given to help other people. And it's not stuff that shows up in the budget. It's not stuff that is you know, planned and organized. It's just God being able to get so much done through this church. And the importance of giving is also on our own behalf. As we give, we get to participate in what God is doing. And that is such a blessing, whether it's the normal tithes and offerings that support this church and the things that you see every Sunday, or it's those extra things. But it's a privilege for us, too, to participate in the faith promises. We have so many stories of ways where we have given faith promises and God has provided, and where we can say, wow, that was cool. Nothing like living on faith support to see your faith in God grow as you see him provide. But this is a way that each of us gets to watch our own faith grow as God provides. So as Pastor West comes in and shares about faith promise, know that we will participate with you as we together as a church uh, spread the good news here and abroad. Thank you.